I'm Steve Service, and this is the Art of Fitness. and today I'll be talking to Emily Abbott. Emily is a 27-year-old Canadian CrossFitter. She currently pursues her sport full-time but also engages in various side hustles like coaching, working for a supplement company named Blonix, and most recently has started an adventure trip company. Emily began her CrossFit journey in 2012 after completing her university degree in English while playing basketball, where she won two national champions as team captain. In 2014, she qualified for her first CrossFit Games, where she placed 35th. In 2015, she made it back to the CrossFit Games, placed 8th. And after the 2015 CrossFit Games, she represented Team Canada in the Reebok CrossFit Invitational in Madrid, Spain. In 2016, Emily returned to the CrossFit Games, where she finished 20th. This year, Emily is shooting for a top five spot at the 2017 CrossFit Games. Emily likes to live with intention, passion, and excellence, regardless of what she's pursuing. You'll definitely get a sense of that when you listen to this. I really, really enjoyed this conversation, and I feel that 2017 is probably going to be Emily's best year yet. But before we get into my conversation with Emily, let's go to the question of the day. Jennifer writes, where to find the inspiration to begin moving? Uh, Thank you so much for this podcast. I am finding the inspiration to be helpful. However, bridging the gap between feeling inspired when I'm listening to these and getting enough inspiration to go to the gym is proving difficult. Okay, so this is a great question. Where do you find the inspiration to get out and to begin? I will tell you this, Jennifer, that starting is the hardest part. It's going from a sedentary life of not making training or physical culture or strength training or um, distance running, whatever it is that you're thinking about doing, going from not doing it to suddenly doing it is the most difficult part. You just thinking about it right now is a testament to where you are in your life and uh, thinking about it is the very first step and you've already taken that first step so high five virtual high five to you jennifer where do you find the inspiration to actually start moving i think the easiest best way to get motivated to begin moving is to have a pal is to have a partner Uh, do it with somebody be accountable to one another This will be the deciding factor on whether or not you're going to stay in bed and hit snooze a few times and then kind of roll out and grab a nice cozy cup of coffee and watch the sun come up and um, the difference between doing that and putting on a pair of shoes and going outside when it's freezing or when it's raining and getting your achy body to move with intention and focus. It's always easy to do it when you're holding somebody's hand. So I would say find yourself a partner. Find yourself somebody who has come to a similar point in their life where they want to change. They want to change their health in whatever way. Uh, Maybe it's just for aesthetic purposes. Maybe it's for strength purposes. Perhaps you're starting to feel aches and pains that you didn't feel before and you decide that it's time to move. Um, But the best thing that you could do, Jennifer, is find somebody to do it with and hold each other accountable with anything in life. Not just starting some sort of physical endeavor, but... With any new thing in life, there comes uh, a measure of trepidation, um, and it's scary. It's the unknown. And whenever we go into the unknown, it's best to not do that alone. Hope that answered your question, Jennifer. Good luck. 
And now for my interview with Emily Abbott. Things I'd like you to listen for in this episode. Emily's thoughts on the dark passenger. Technologies for human performance. Her views on remote coaching. And the pillars of a good training program. All right. Let's listen to my conversation with Emily Abbott. Emily Abbott? Yes. Hi. Hi, how's it going? It's going great. Welcome to The Art of Fitness. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about your journey of self-discovery and self-actualization. What does that mean to you? Well, um, that means to me that, uh, you know, I'm really trying to figure out what I'm super passionate about passionate about in this life and what makes me tick and how I can create meaning through that and um, yeah just make and make an impact I guess in this world Um, this very scary and interesting interesting times we are in kind of world so um, yeah and I you know I just found that through fitness um, I really and through lifting heavy and uh you know, being able to express my body in that way, I've really started to dial in um, certain things about myself that uh, I don't think I would have found had I not gone on this journey of extreme physical discomfort and Mm -hmm. fitness. So Um, obviously fitness plays a role. Was that the catalyst or is that how you're choosing to express that? I think that's how I'm choosing to express that. I'm beginning to realize the more I do CrossFit and the more I get engaged in the community um, and I'm involved in this crazy little world of CrossFit, I'm realizing that I could literally devote my energy, whatever I devote my energy to, I could be successful at that if I put in my heart, my soul, my blood, my sweat, my tears, um, it's just another, I'm I'm just expressing it in this way right now. Um, I don't think that I mean I can't obviously do competitive CrossFit forever. So I, of course I'm always thinking kind of about the next steps in my journey. But for sure, um, it's forced me to really realize it, fitness in general or pushing yourself uh, past your perceived limitations forces you to look at some hard truths about yourself and uh i think if you're not doing that on a daily basis basis or weekly basis at least um you're missing out on like so much that to figure out about yourself you're missing out on that learning process so um i think i could probably be in any arena of life and probably do pretty well um but right now i just really like um trying to be the best at exercising fast (laughs) so it's really fun it's really fun you briefly mentioned that you know you're aware of the reality that you're not going to do this forever or that you you cannot do this forever um so you know when when you're sitting there alone at home after a hard day of training we'll get into what that looks like later Mm -hmm. but and you know you're feeling the pain you're feeling the exhaustion you're also feeling the elation of accomplishment and you're fast forwarding in your mind 20 30 40 years what do you see yourself doing <laughs> like ah it's so hard for me to think that way and it was always hard for me when people are like what's your 5 year plan yeah. what's your 10 year plan oh, I hear honestly you. i i've never been able to answer that because i feel like if you invest fully in this moment right now Mm. the next step is going to present itself to you um and it's going to become really clear uh i was talking to i've always talked to um tate fletcher i'm not sure if you're aware of who that is he owns caveman coffee Mm -hmm. but he's kind of like this mystical pirate dude yeah and we were talking about that and he's like if you're already thinking about a plan b he's like that means that you should get out of you're already thinking about getting out of what you're doing right now yeah so I try to fully invest myself and immerse myself in what I'm doing right now because that way I can, at the end of the day, when I'm feeling the pain and, you know, like the why am I doing this, I can just be like, because I want to be the absolute best right now. And this is is how I'm expressing that right now. 
And of course, yeah, like in the back of my brain, I'm okay, like in a couple of years, like I definitely want to all transition out of this. But I would be so remiss to think that, you know, I'm not, I'm creating all these relationships and all these connections, like something else is going to present itself to me. Right. Um, and then I can transition into that. So, um, yeah, I think that it's just really important to be fully present and something great is going to come along. You don't really have to, you don't have to worry that much because in the end it's, it's all going to work out anyway. And if it's, if it hasn't worked out, then that means it's not the end. Or that means it's, it's not where you should be. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Who is the lion in your life? <laughs> um, the lion, well, first of all, it's my family crest. So mm-hmm. when we're 21, when we turn 21 in my family, you get a little signet ring, a gold pinky ring with our family crest on it. Okay. Um, kind of connects us all. I think all everyone in our family is a little bit of a lion. We got a couple of Leos too, I guess, from the Zodiac calendar but um i think for me the lion is that kind of that dark passenger that we all have and um that pushes us to do crazy shit all the time which we all have right we're all a little nuts sure we do so and and i think that you know i think it's powerful to tap into that um Mm -hmm. And the reason why I asked that question is because you have a tattoo on the inside of your right arm that says Noli Iritari Leonum, which translates, don't disturb the lion, right? Yes. Yeah. And that's the reason why I asked that. And so when do you tap into the lion? I, you know what? When I'm competing. Yeah. When I am, <laughs> when I, you know what I love? I love like pu- pushing myself and this happened a lot in basketball. We sometimes our coach if we didn't play well or play up to the best our standards or her standards, uh, if we didn't have a culture of excellence, then she would make us come back to the gym and let's say practice from midnight till 5 a.m. And I love that because when other people started to falter, when my teammates started to feel like you know upset that they were there or they started to get mad or there was some weakness showing that jacked me up. Like that made me want to work even harder because I knew that nobody could break me. Like I could not be broken. Mm. So, and then that's why I transitioned into CrossFit because I guess that's the, the next possible step outside of being like a Navy SEAL or something right? Um, where you could get pushed. And when other people are starting to falter, when other people are starting to get nervous or make excuses, I just, I want to be that person that doesn't, that's like, okay, like you have said, this is, it is what it is. Like, this is the situation. Let's, let's go. This is when you thrive. So when I'm competing and when, when I can perform under perfect, under uh, pressure and when I can just go be savage as fuck basically yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that to me is like i'm expressing my true self and that's when that that lion comes out that's when my my true spirit comes out when i can be just like a total alpha female and i don't have to make any i don't have to say anything about it i can yeah. just be who i want to be that to me is the mo- like when i'm my most powerful you're a world traveler um kind of yeah <laughs> I, I mean traveled you've traveled around a lot right yeah um did did you always feel like that i mean did you always feel this this internal drive to relish the fact that you can do or you're capable of doing that which others cannot or did you did you pick that up somewhere along the way uh so i i definitely think i picked that up along the way definitely from my dad and my mom they they uh my mom was a military brat my dad was a fighter pilot they met in germany wow and they've always kind of had this worldly view and they've always told us you need to go out like your mission in life is to go out and figure out what you love and you need to go out in the world in order to do that so then and then of course moving from the city to the ranch 
my dad, and I've talked about this before, uh, my dad would push us on the ranch, like, okay, you're going to move this rock pile over there, dig a trench all day, and uh, figure it out. And then after lunch, he'd be like, you know, I don't really like where that trench is. We're going to fill it back up again and do something different. Yeah. And so he would constantly be pushing us outside of our comfort zones. And I guess I just, that's where I really started to express kind of this alpha female mentality. Um, I remember one particular story is where we had to go uh, set up a fence line on some of the property. And so I had uh, a bunch of barbed wire and of course a wooden post and we were stringing the barbed wire along and this huge storm started to roll in. And I just looked at my dad. I was like, Hey, like there's a storm and we're handling barbed wire. Like we need to, probably go inside and he's like the hell we are like we're we're finishing this job and I can remember like there's lightning and it's just pouring rain and I'm you know getting we're all getting cut up by the barbed wire and after that moment like after we finished the job and there was you know we were soaked and bloody and we came inside and I could see I could see that like look in my dad's eye and he was totally high on that you know the adrenaline the accomplishment yeah. and I was like that's I was like, I love this. Like, yeah. at first, I was like, this guy is crazy, and like, I don't know if I if I should be his daughter. But then I, <laughs> I really started to enjoy that that almost that insanity, like just going really hard. Yeah, um, I love that. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, man, so, it's like the realization moment <laughs> where you're like, hey. I'm a fucking badass being raised by a badass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Well, yeah, and it's just like he was always doing crazy shit on the ranch, like, oh, like blo- either blowing stuff up or <laughs> like we're burning stuff, making um, <laughs> you know Molotov cocktails yeah. and stuff like that. So it was just it, it was in, it was always insane, and at times I shied away from it, but then I realized now like what a special upbringing that was. And it's definitely something I've picked up along the way. And uh, definitely my, my dad and my mom uh, kind of forced that into us, really. So uh, it was definitely a special upbringing. So I picked up that kind of savagery, I think, at it, uh, along the way. Oh, that sounds special. Now, you, you're starting an adventure trip company am yeah. I right well it's just a little like side business that I was like hey this would be fun I'm really lucky um my parents have uh, a little spot down in Mexico that they rent out uh in this fishing village an hour and a half north of Puerto Vallarta mm-hmm. and so they suggested to me they're like hey you should like run run something down there if you're interested because we we would love to rent it out to you and so I just uh took I took six people down there in November and I just had like the time, like the best time ever. They were really open. And I just told them like, look, this is my first little like adventure trip with you guys. So please be nice. And I want, I want your like feedback. I want your criticisms. And uh, yeah, it was, it was wonderful. And we just hung out. We did like some fitness in the morning and then we would go on adventures. There's some really cool petroglyphs, like ancient, uh, really powerful uh, petroglyphs up in these mountains and it's it's like real raw mexico down there so yeah it was uh it's not resort living at all and you you can hang out with villagers and it's a very magical place there's lots of energies going on down there so uh, yeah i've i started that and i would like to continue with that because it was such a blast with this uh first initial group so that yeah, sounds we'll amazing. Yeah, yeah sure, we'll see where it goes. Yeah, make sure um, at the end of the show we, we get the links for that so we can figure out how to join you. Sure. Um, all right, are you ready to take this questionnaire? I am. All right, let's do it. Section one. How many meals do you consume in a day, Emily? Uh, roughly three, three to five, depending on my schedule. Okay. And in percentages of fat, protein, carbohydrate, what's your macronutrient breakdown or does it change with time of day? Does it change with your training schedule? So I've actually just like, this sounds bad. Like before I just would like eat and be like, yeah, I just need to eat to eat to survive and get in my training. And if I'm hungry, I'm going to get, I'm going to eat. Um, but now I've really with, I got a new coach and, uh, I've been working with some nutritionists and really trying to dial that in. Mm-hmm. And I've just been starting to record my 
you know, macronutrient breakdown, which I know a lot of people are like, oh my God, I can't believe you're just doing that now as like an elite athlete. But I'm like, shut up. Food's, <laughs> food's pleasure for me. Um, but yeah, I, it's roughly around uh, like it's 30% for fat, um, 25-ish percent for protein, and then almost 48% for carbs. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that's definitely going to be need some, uh, some tweaking, you know, I'm, I'm eating probably around 4,000 calories plus like per day. Wow. Um, but it's all, it's all like good quality food. Um, but a huge game changer for me in terms of eating has been eating immediately after a training session, or at least within like a half an hour window. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's been, uh, yeah, that's been huge. I'm like not a sore. Amazing so eating eating after as opposed to before. well well no like i mean i still eat before but then i'll do my training session and then right after i will like heat up my food and eat it those receptors um, are wide open for all that goodness that's right and i didn't know that before i was like i would have like my protein shake i'd like be hanging out and then i'd go you know from the gym to coach or go home and then i then i would eat something it was just like taking I was just thought my protein shake or like post recovery shake, whatever, uh, was enough, but it definitely was not. Right. And how much time do you take in between eating and training? Like you say you eat right after, how many times a day do you, do you train? Uh, well, I'm changing it up quite a bit. So for the past four months I was doing two a days. Okay. Uh, but we found that I wasn't recovering enough and okay. recovery is like the most important thing. So I'm down to just single training sessions. All right. So I'll eat in the morning and then eat right after. And like what does a typical training session, a single training session for you look like? Um, so are you talking about like not the whole day, but like my actual training session? Yeah. I mean, you know, or the whole day, the, the training day, you, you, you know, you just said that you just switched it up to only doing one training session a day. Is that, do you count like a four hour session, one training session <laughs> or, or do you, you know, do you, um, how, how much have you dialed it in? How much have you brought it back? Right. Yeah, so my, typically, like, so when I was doing my two-a-days, it would probably be three-hour sessions each time. That includes warm-up and cool-down. Okay. And now that I'm on one-a-days, it's about, it's about three hours. Um, and then I, but that includes, again, warm-up and cool-down. And so a typical training day for me is I wake up, I eat breakfast, I walk my dogs, I head to the gym, roll, stretch, warm-up, do my training session, which... Uh, it, the coach that I have now, Jen Swagger, really, it changes it up on me all the time. Mm -hmm. So, uh, it's really, it's very challenging. And I'm also always monitoring my heart rate, which has been really cool to see, uh, where I get over the training session. Then I, uh, I cool down, always do a cool down, uh, eat, usually get some treatment, and then uh, I go to co I coach classes or I do some work. I work for a supplement company called Blonix. Uh, walk my dogs, which I find like is a very important part of my day. It's almost like a meditation. Right. And then I eat, and then I do all the recovery things I can. And so you lately, it's been hot baths with a little bit of Enya playing <laughs> and some candles and so some Epsom salts. Oh my God. A lot of people are saying Epsom salts are where it's at right now. It's funny yeah. because I, I have this thing. My grandmother used to tout Epsom salts when, when I was uh, a kid. And it was like, you know, what the hell is this doing? <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? So now I'm hearing everybody just say Epsom salts is where it's at. Um, I'm like, wow, sorry for being a dick, Graham. So... You say you get treatments, uh, acupuncture, massage, chiropractic. What's that look like? Yeah. Um, so mo some days I do a chiropractor. Like I definitely need my neck adjusted. I got in a, f a few car accidents when I was younger, a little bit of whiplash. So my neck tends to get pretty stiff. Mm -hmm. um, I will also do, I have an osteopath that I work with and he's crazy. He'll get, he'll like... <laughs> touch things that I'm like, oh, I didn't even know that was a problem. And uh, then, yeah, I'll try to do massage as well. 
Uh, definitely though, not before a training day, just cause I, I, I don't recover after having a, a massage like that, but stretching, um, drinking tea, doing anything basically to manage those cortisol levels. And, uh, that's why I love like bath time mm-hmm. basically, even if it, if those Epsom salts don't work, it's like anything that provides a psychosomatic response, like a positive one, mm-hmm. that's going to help. doesn't matter what you do. You could drink. So I've heard some people drinking breast milk. <laughs> it's like, well, okay, if that works for you, <laughs> where like, did that they works score for that? <laughs> I know. That's what I asked. We're like, don't even. I don't want to talk about that. Like, oh, okay, Jeez. <laughs> that's a new one for me. I never even heard that. <laughs> I know. Jeez, it's disturbing. Actually, it is but. kind of disturbing. <laughs> so you're you have a new coach just this season, just in uh, getting ready for 2017. Yes. And yes. what is her name again? I'm sorry. Jen Swagger. And uh, when um, you brought her on. Why? Well, I was uh, with another coach named um, Justin Thacker for a number of years, and he uh, was out of St. Louis. I had a boyfriend in St. Louis at the time, and he was excellent. Like he ma- he was had an Olympic lifting background. He made me really really strong. But um, after a while, I was just grinding so hard all the time that I was just seeing diminishing returns. Mm-hmm. So, and also not only that, it was the distance, like. I can't be having remote coaching. Honestly, I don't think is a very good idea. Okay. Why? So because you need someone that knows you on a day-to-day basis that like when you walk into the gym, Jen Swagger can look into my eyes and be like, okay, what's up? What, like, how are you feeling today? Right. Um, okay. We're going to make these adjustments because of this or like you seem, I, I, so she makes me answer these seven questions every morning on it's from a scale of one to seven. Mm-hmm. And if I don't, if I'm not, if I'm really stressed, let's say, and I, ha- I answer a five, then she's going to make adjustments or we're going to do something to make sure that my stress levels get back down to a one. Right. And I also use that Omega wave. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It just no, measures me your heart rate and your CNS. And okay. I do that every morning. And if my readings aren't good, uh, we'll make adjustments. So it, it measures your heart rate and your and what your central nervous system is doing. Yeah, it's really really interesting. A lot of uh, Olympians use it. A lot of Olympic runners. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And it's a company out of like Finland or some some obscure place like that. But uh, it will measure like your endurance, your speed and power, your uh, what else? Your coordination mm-hmm. and there's a fourth category, but it's all off like different. You have like four different waves of heartbeats or something like that. I'm not really into the science. But and what, what do you, is it like you, you just tape on electrodes and it measures all these things? Exactly. Yeah. It's like a little heart rate monitor plus electrodes that connect to your hand and your head. Wow. And uh, yeah. And it, it kind of just, it shows your recovery and there's a whole bunch of data in there. And so if my readings aren't good, it's like, okay, you know, like there's no way you're going to get any kind of anaerobic development today. You can't get even push into that heart rate zone. Mm -hmm. So you're just going to do, you're going to keep your heart rate at 120 beats per minute for 30 minutes and try to just get some recovery. And does the device take into account that, okay, here I am, a 42-year-old, I would say above average fitness male, that is nowhere near your level, Emily. And here you have Emily Abbott, who is, you know, a, a monster, you know, top top 10 in the world athlete. Yeah, oh, it definitely does. So you, you'll put in all your data, like how old you are, your, it'll, you don't have to put in your fitness level, but how old you are, your weight, and then it just takes, if you constantly take that measurement every day, you'll get some really good data. So oh, cool. And it's called yeah. Omega Wave. Omega Wave. Yeah, it's really cool. And but to get back to like remote coaching, the previous year, like my 2016 year, I was picking from so many different apple trees that it became so overwhelming and so confusing. Yeah. I was always adding things in like, oh, I should do that. I, oh, I should do this. And if we've learned anything from like the top, like the uh, the people who win, like yeah. Katrin David's daughter, like you can't do that. It's just... It's too much and recovery, uh, like the, the pillars of a really great training program are hydration, recovery, and sleep and nutrition. So if, I'm, if I wasn't hitting those, if I wasn't recovering and I'm going into the gym and 
just grinding away six days a week. Right. Like anyone can do that. No, but are you, you gonna are you gonna get better? Right. You no. need to adapt. <laughs> exactly. Right. That's so, that's the stress. You need the ad- adaptation. Right. Exactly. So uh, working with local people and going being able to go to a gym every day to people that like care about you and want you to succeed. That's been a huge game changer for me. And I'm much happier because I'm not training alone. My coach is watching me and forcing me to be accountable and to get better, which of course we all, we would all love to say like, yeah, I can do that on my own. But you like, after a while, you just can't. Right. It just fades away. You know, your discipline of movement and all that. So. Sure. Um, you know, it's nice to hear you say that because I think that for all of the coaches listening out there, one of the, I think one of, one of the things that may frustrate a coach is, especially when they're working with, um, say an athlete who is regionals level, trying to break into games level or games level is that that idea of trusting trusting your program and having an athlete who may be wondering looking over their shoulder well what's so-and-so doing i'm going to do a little bit of that too um Mm -hmm. it's nice to hear you say hey listen you know i'm just going to narrow it down to my face-to-face coach that i have here who knows me and i'm going to trust this program um, because she has my best interests in mind. Um, yeah, I think it's great hearing that come out of your mouth. Yeah. it's And, you know, CrossFit's so new that it's great to have all these, like, amazing, awesome coaches that are on social media and that have online programming. Right. But I would encourage, and I've said this before, but I would encourage a lot of people to look locally. Like, there's an inc- incredible amount of knowledge in strength and conditioning, probably right in your own backyard, mm-hmm. because that, uh, people have been doing it forever. Right. Strength and conditioning, right? So there's there's a lot of knowledge out there, and it's just not maybe publicized or marketed in a way that's really like flashy and like, oh yeah, I need to be doing this because the best in the world are doing this. I'm trusting, like I'm putting a lot of trust in those coaches, but. I'd rather do that than be frantically, yeah, picking from several different sources yeah. and trying to figure it out myself. Like, I would just rather have those horse blinders on and get, get to, to work. work. Yeah. yeah. Section two. How would you describe your state of mind in training? That's a really interesting question. So I've been playing around with this a lot lately. Sometimes your mood is out of your control, um, especially if you, like, life happens, right? So you can't just come into the gym and be this, like, perfect robot all the time. At least I'm not. I'm not a robot. I'm, a, I'm an emotional creature, mm-hmm. and I wear my heart on my sleeve very much so. Um, so sometimes, like, you know, I, I've come off a long plane ride, or I've had some kind of, like, altercation, or, you know, the man is getting me down. <laughs> and that happens, right? I'll have maybe like a couple of weeks where I feel like on top of the world and then a week where I'm just like, God damn it. Like life is so crushingly depressing sometimes, you know? Yeah. But I walk into the gym and I try to have no expectations of myself. So whatever is happening is happening. And it's, it's the, you know, I hate it when I actually dislike the saying it is what it is, but it's so applicable here, right? Like right. you can't, you have no control over that. Like I have control over my recovery. I have a, ch- I can choose to be positive. I can choose to be a happy person, but really it's like all the hormones and things going on in my body. Like I can't, I can't control that. So I tend to be most successful when I have no thoughts floating through my mind. I'm, if I'm completely absorbed and present, I always execute flawlessly. So I would say I'm kind of, my state of mind is kind of this like passive aggression when I enter into my training sessions. Like I, I, yeah, I want to, I'm like, okay, I want to get better today. Like I want to, I want to do my absolute best and let's just, let's see how this goes. Let's start working. If you could liken your mental state in competition to a type of organic or inorganic substance, 
what would it be and why? <laughs> yeah, this question was like <laughs> so hard. Oh my God. So in competition, you know, oh man, that's a tough question. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you, Steve. Hey, man. You know, <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. It is what it is. I mean. Um, yeah. So, at first I was thinking kind of like a rock, but I'm totally not a rock. Like, to be perfectly honest, like, I'm a mess in competition. And right. to say that you're not, you're lying because there's like, and that's what makes competition so amazing is that there's these highs and there's these lows and you're just trying to ride the wave I guess I would if I could uh, apply it to kind of more of a scenario it would be like surfing you know you're just kind of <laughs> riding this wave and if you don't catch that first wave well there's two more behind it in a set there's a, it always comes in threes and so yeah you're just kind of you know, sometimes you paddle really hard and you try to get up on the wave. You don't, you miss it, but you get the second one. And guess what? There's always going to be more waves coming along. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say I'm just trying to ride that, that wave, or i.e. the roller coaster of emotion that is a competition and try to stay as steady as possible. You know, it's funny. The reason why I laughed is because um, the, the last time I, I coached, um, athletes, I took CrossFit virtuosity to the games in 2014, and that was the mantra. That was the exact mantra of you're on it, please don't look back and please don't look forward. Ride the wave. That was the mantra, dude. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. You know, and because, like I said, like there's so much out of your control. Um, yeah, especially there. Oh, yeah. Like, and you know, my first year, of course, I was like a nervous wreck all the time. But then I just real like you just kind of let it happen, and that's definitely what I what happened in 2015. I just let it happen, and that was like a really a really special time. That's when I felt like the most self actualized because I was just letting. I was just, I guess, like you what they say in a flow. Mm. And that's definitely, I don't know if any, if anyone has ever surfed, you feel it when you catch a really good wave and like things are just lining up perfectly, man, it feels really good. And I think that's definitely a high we're all chasing. Imagine this scenario. And I understand that this is your favorite one. <laughs> You're holding a baby in your right arm and a cooler holding a vital organ to believe to be delivered to a loved one in need in your left. You come to a canyon. The only way across is via a zip line. The zip line requires one of your hands for you to hold on with. What do you put down? The baby or the organ? Okay, well, first of all, there's this question's very vague. Mm. And I have some more questions. Can I fashion some kind of harness for the baby? Because I have like a belt, like a rigger's belt. Sure. Okay. Yes, you you yes, you can adapt to your situation in any way that you see fit. Okay. And secondly, I was thinking that I would wrap the organ up in some kind of like burlap sack or like <laughs> some kind of like vessel and shove it down my shirt. So Perfect. I would I first of all I would try I would exhaust all possibilities to get both in, like precious cargo over the zip line. Failing that, ultimately the baby is a blank slate. So if I let it live, then I would certainly mold this baby into a superhuman <laughs> via literature, survival skills training, athletics, and a thorough knowledge of all the languages. So if my friend had to die, this baby would be the prodigy prodigal chat and i would make it be i would make it create this baby into the best possible human so that my loved one's life wasn't wasted awesome now survival skills give me three that you would start with with this baby 
um, three survival skills, how to kill food <laughs> or an animal in the wild. Great. Um, basic first aid. Nice. And, um, oh, how to start a fire. Yeah. Perfect. With a news broadcast just reports that the Earth is going to be struck by an asteroid the size of our moon. Although officials have known about this for some time, the asteroid is predicted to hit within 24 hours, which will mean a certain end for our planet. How does Emily Abbott spend her last 24 hours? Well, this is actually a really interesting question because I've been trying to approach life just recently like I have eight months to live. Hmm. So I'm trying to be as... as honest and genuine and authentic as possible in my relationships and trying my hardest not to hold back it's and especially i guess when it comes to like love or something like that it's so hard to say what how you really feel it's and it's terrifying but yeah that was just a little aside um how would i spend my last 24 hours number one eat really great food like the best possible food. What, what, um, is, what is that? You, you have probably three meals. So give okay. me your best possible meal in your last 24 hours. An amazing bowl of pasta with really good red wine. Um, an amazing pizza with really good red wine. And maybe some sour beers in there as well. I'm a sour fan too, buddy. Oh, nice. Just got nice. into them this summer. Sorry. Oh, Go ahead. So good. Yeah. Third meal, uh, oh, what would it be? Probably something my mom, Lady Jane, would make. Maybe like a just a really good steak or something of, of that nature. And seafood, something with seafood. Depends what I could get my hands on, right? Yeah. Um, I would definitely have sex in that last 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, probably as much as I could. <laughs> in between your three favorite meals. Well, yeah, or I could just like George Costanza it and try to eat and have sex at the same time. So, um, and then I would surround myself with my loved ones and my dogs. I would head to the ranch because the ranch is truly a special spot in the world. And um, near the end, I would probably ingest some type of magic mushroom. And or if I could get my hands on some like ayahuasca, uh, yeah. you know, try to have like some kind of spiritual drug induced experience right. near the end. So maybe I could have a little bit more clarity on this seemingly vacuous, empty life. Wow. So. Have you have you ever done ayahuasca? No, but I've been reading a lot about DMT lately and yeah people down in Peru and Brazil and all those guided ayahuasca tours. Like it's, it's interesting. I'm definitely not going to do that. Yeah. It's definitely interesting. And it's something that I've thought about, um, you know, time and time again, and it sounds so intriguing. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I, I don't know, maybe someday, but yeah. what, what's holding you back? Um, uh, what's holding me back is that I'm trying to be an athlete. Right. right. And, I don't think, sometimes I think I get involved in these fantasies of escape, and I think we all do. We're trying to escape a lot every day, which is why we watch TV or read a book, because sometimes living is just, it's tough, right? It's it's, uh, the reality and the monotony and the the day-to-day grind, it can get really tough. So I think that when I look at, when I start researching these kinds of things, I'm, I'm looking for in escape and definitely I'm sure like an ayahuasca ceremony is a great way to be like, Oh yeah. You know, I I need to figure life out a little bit more, have some more perspectives. I'm just going to like go ingest something that'll make me really sick and then, you know, be on the ground for a couple of days. Right. And I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I I agree with everything you're saying. It seems like, and this is what's holding me back from actually pulling the trigger and doing it is it sounds like it's it's just a moment like any other moment and and after you experience it although you may learn a lot about yourself or your reality or you know have something revealed to you um 
when it's over, it's just a memory like everything else. <laughs> and I don't right. know I don't know how much that would arm me for anything that is um tangible or or useful. But uh, there's always that part of yourself that you wonder if if something is hidden from you and your consciousness and if you are on the right path and if you are taking the right steps and if you are living your destiny, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, and on, on this planet now that has been explored, perhaps if you have that explorer gene somewhere in your DNA that um, the inner landscape is the last frontier. So these are mm. the things that intrigue me about it. Um, but <laughs> when is it essential to lie? And when is it deplorable to tell the truth? So I really do believe that lying is super necessary in life. And it, only because of, of social constrictions and social situations where one must lie. Mm -hmm. So, for example, it could be as trivia trivial as, oh, I had a great time at your party, even though it was the worst time you ever had. But you're not going to tell that person that it was the worst time you ever had because <laughs> most, most lying that you do on a day-to-day -day basis is about respecting people's feelings. Mm. And we all know that one person who doesn't lie and they're not liked very much. <laughs> so, you know, they're just really blunt. And if you've ever hung out with like any Eastern European people, that's how it is. And yeah. you're just like, oh my God. I had girls on my team uh, that were Eastern European and they would like walk up to me and they're like, you look terrible to it today, <laughs> Emily. I'm like, you know what, Eva, like just back off. All right. Yeah. Um, Don't irritate the lion, bitch. That's right. <laughs> like seriously. <laughs> and I think it's deplorable to tell the truth when I think a lot of times in our society and obviously humans are problem centric individuals and we see that on the news all the time. Um, it's when you want to criticize someone. Mm. So that's when you need to refrain from being honest. And definitely in my life, I've realized, like, I, I love to criticize people. You love to criticize people or judge people on their behavior instead of maybe their underlying intention. And you judge yourself on your intention mm. instead of your behavior. So I, I would say when you're about to criticize someone, that's when you, you bite your tongue. And that's when you you refrain from being honest. Mm. Who in history, real or fictional, would you describe as resilient? Why? Why that person? So, I mean, I, I love history, mm. but it, the, one, the people that stood out to me, like, almost immediately were, of course, because I'm, like, a, I'm a feminist, um, were the suffragettes. And so there's this woman named Nellie McClung in Canada who, you know, they fought against a seemingly immovable patriarchy and, you know, terrible misogyny and social hate from their own sex. How do, how do I spell McClung? M-C-C-L-U-N-G. Nellie McClung. Okay, sorry to interrupt. No worries. Uh, you know, they were like anti-fragile individuals and... You know, they could, you could uh, bend them, but they definitely couldn't, couldn't snap. And so I guess anybody in history that's been fighting against a way, like a way of thinking that's so hard to do is to change that. And I don't know now if I would, I would be able to do that, um, you know, just banding together and trying to overthrow a common conception. It's, uh, it's very hard to do. So Definitely the, the suffragettes popped into my, my brain initially. I'm sure in a couple of days I'll be thinking about others, but that was, uh, that was the initial thought. Great. Section three, going into emotions. What is your idea of perfect happiness? Living presently and without expectation. Great. What is the opposite of fear? 
boldness. Please finish this sentence. Love is blank. Pain. Love is pain. Love is pain. What recurring trait do you notice about yourself that makes you angry? Ah, my procrastination. I'm always manana, manana. Like, I need to, uh, I would love if I could just stop doing that. When do you experience sadness, Emily? After a thrilling high. So definitely after competition or after spending time with someone you're madly in love with. Um, but that sadness is almost delicious because you're learning a greater depth of emotion you didn't even think possible. And that vulnerability opens up something, like a deep, like all the walls that you thought you could have built up and even walls you didn't know you had are stripped away. And that's why it's so great to have highs and lows in life. It's so essential and it's, that's what makes you feel alive. Mm. Have you ever seen the documentary Riding Giants? No. About Layered Hamilton? No. Okay. Well, you have to see this documentary because he explains quite beautifully, just as you did, um, how he feels when, when big wave season is over and there are, aren't any waves, you know. <laughs> and he says, and it stuck with me, I've, I've seen this documentary once, probably when I was 25 years old, and this stuck with me for ever, and I still think about it all the time, but he says, you know, when there are no more waves and he gets really sullen and he's just this very energetic guy. You know who Laird Hamilton is, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, he's like, you know, when there are no more waves, I feel like the last dragon slayer on the day when he just killed the final dragon. And he's like, and it's just an overwhelming sadness, but... And then he goes on to relish it, just as you do. And I think I think you would enjoy that with your surfing um, analogy and and Ooh. your 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 answer to that question. Check that documentary out. I think you won't be disappointed. Definitely, a hundred percent. And I think like being bold and being and putting yourself out there. I'd rather live super hard and mess it up yeah. than to be cautious like my whole life. Yeah. So tell us about the last time you were genuinely surprised. You know, just because I, I'm just thinking about the last year of my life. Mm. And that was when I was able to move on after my last long-term relationship. And uh, I put up, like I was talking about before, I put up a lot of walls that... I didn't even know were there and now I've since I've moved on it's like wow I I can feel so much more again so to me being able to it was like trying to overcome a mountain that I didn't even think I could overcome but now that I'm on the other side or at least at the top I'm like oh yeah it's amazing what what you can do if you just you know start putting one foot in front of the other mm. What word or action incites a feeling of absolute disgust in you? Word or action? Excuse making. Mm. And people trying to act super cool. <laughs> Just disgusts you. It disgusts me. I hate it. Give me an example. Sycophants. Um, <laughs> an example? Yeah. I don't know. Like yeah. you, know Ch you could change the names. But uh, one specific example where you just wanted to pop somebody for trying to act cool. Man, you know, like when you go to like any kind of party or even, even competitions or like in the CrossFit world, it doesn't matter what world you're in. There's always like this elite group of people that think they are super elite <laughs> and they try to just separate themselves from the rest. And I hate that yeah. because like trying to be cool is a prison you are limiting yourself to so much and to so many different kinds of people and from learning 
anything. Like, I don't know. I'd, I guess I'd rather always be a fringe person than, and we've all dealt with this, like in high school, yeah. than trying to be, you know, part of this group. I don't know. It's just, it makes me so sick. <laughs> or when you're with someone and they're like in a public setting and they can't be themselves because they're trying to be something cool. Or some, I don't know. They're just trying. They're playing a game, and I, I hate that. Don't play games. Just be you, like as authentically as possible. Even though, it, yeah, you're probably goofy as shit, and like, <laughs> ah, just it drives me nuts. <laughs> Let's go on to section four. What is your definition of the spirit? I would say uh, human ambition. Hmm. What happens to us when our bodies die? I was talking about this with someone recently, actually. And um, I definitely think we, will, we would live, or our spirit, whatever, our dark matter, whatever, would transfer into a new plane that transcends time and space. Mm. So we'd be able to kind of see everything, the history of humanity, um, like the universe what it all means why why the universe is expanding the or, oh, the origin of the universe the secrets i would i really hope that you can go to a place like a new plane of being where you're able to answer those questions and so and hopefully yeah create some find some peace in that name one event in your life that you can most closely describe as a miracle? Well, obviously my birth. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I'm kidding. Um, it is. It is a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> kidding, kidding, kidding. Um, I would have to say, I mean, okay, my life has been incredibly blessed and like I, I live a very easy life compared to so many humans out there. Uh, and, uh, I'm, I'm very, very lucky. I work hard, but I'm very, very lucky. Um, but I would have to say the one, the one moment in my life where well, that was a little bit of a miracle, uh, was recovering from dengue fever. You, you got dengue fever. Yeah. Where were I you? Got, I was in Indonesia. Wow. And I got so sick, had to be hospital hospitalized. You know, I was on a morphine drip because the pain was like so intense. Mm. And uh, what 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 is what does that do to your body? What what does that feel like? So it's like a month long illness, basically, and it's from an early morning mosquito bite. Like I don't know how the hell they figured that out, but uh, so I was yeah early morning mosquito bite. I just started to get really ill. They call it break bone fever because it feels like your bones are like twisting and breaking. Oh, Jesus. And, yeah, just a horrible fever. I uh, couldn't eat anything. But then, then on like the 10th day, you start to break out in this rash. And this rash feels like a thousand hot knives poking you. You can't sit still. You can't sleep. Like I had to constantly be moving. And eventually, and it breaks out all over your face, your entire body. It's just this red rash. And I had to, uh, that's when I was like, I, I either wanted to be knocked out because I didn't want to, I just want someone to punch me so I didn't have to feel it anymore. Then I started asking, I was like, you need to give me morphine because I can't, I can't do this anymore. Right. And uh, I don't know what they gave me, but I did eventually get knocked out. Um, so, but then recovering from that, after that, that's like the worst part of it. And then I, I realized as I got... Every day when I started to get healthier, it was kind of coming back every day. That's when the perspective kind of hit it hit, and I, I just realized how precious our health is. Yeah. And holy shit, do I ever want to just ex use my body to the best of its abilities because this is my only body, and holy crap, like the joy of living is so incredible. Mm -hmm. And I haven't even had like like this wasn't cancer or anything. This was just dengue fever. Mm -hmm. So I, I was, yeah, I was floored with how essential that is. Like, wow. So I just started, and that's when I was like, okay, I need to do something, like, to express myself physically. Like, this was, 
it was pretty pretty crazy experience. It sounds it. When do you feel most connected with creation? So I've had a couple of divine moments in my life uh, where I feel definitely closer to some kind of higher power or the world, the universe at large. Number one was eating a bowl of pasta in Venice. Mm. I was just walking around the streets. I was actually with my mom at the time. And we were kind of just meandering through the streets. And we came upon this beautifully lit, sunshine lit courtyard. And this woman came out and was like, oh, would you like to try? You know, this is a little restaurant. There's only like a couple tables. So we sat outside and I had this carbonara or something. Mm -hmm. And it was divine. Like I was <laughs> transcended to like a higher level. And like, I guess that shows how much I love food, but I, it was incredible. And every bite was like a, a new experience. So that was one. Second was um, surfing on the Canary Islands that I would wake up, go get a cafe con leche and like a little sandwich eat and then head out to the surf and surf for a couple of hours in some pretty rough surf because the, the, there was a lot of winds that day or for the week. But that was the best time of my life. And I can remember just sitting on my board, like being a part of nature and endless waves. It was just, it all just made sense. And I can remember being, being truly like incandescently happy at that moment. And then I would go train do some CrossFit and then have this incredible meal of like tuna or like some kind of Spanish delight. So that was incredible. And then one more experience I can remember is um, anytime I'm in Can like in Canada, uh, in Calgary, where I'm from, there's these, the foothill, foothills mountains that roll into the Kananaskis Rockies. Okay. And so anytime I'm in the foothills on the ranch, which is definitely like there used to be a lot of native tribes that were on this ranch. Like we found like Indian heads, uh, not Indian heads, sorry, <laughs> arrowheads. Uh -huh, right. <laughs> um, like, wow. You live on a burial ground. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Poltergeist stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. These like, old, yeah. Aboriginal arrowheads. And, uh, you know, there's an old medicine wheel there and oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's really special. And so I can remember just, this one summer day, all the poplar trees were kind of blowing in the wind and it was really hot. And I was sitting out on the lawn with my dogs and my family. And I could see the, you know, the vista of the Rocky Mountains in the distance. And yeah, that's what I was like, wow, this is uh, like, this is life, you know, like this is incredible. So mm, that sounds amazing. What, uh, what is the thing that, is the closest resemblance to absolute truth for you? So this is, I recently saw Henry Rollins in uh, live and he's a really interesting his, dude. His spoken word or Rollins yeah, band? His, his spoken word. Mm. And then I started reading a lot of his articles and things he's written. Love and that dude. Love him. Yeah. Yeah, man. He's, he's really great. And, one thing that I really, that kind of stuck with me and it's kind of this never changing reference point is physical discomfort or pain. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's so much truth in that and coming out on the other side of that. And I, like I said, I, li I live a very, very easy life, very comfortable life. So I can't imagine, and of course, someone who's probably going through actual pain, um, like losing a loved one or having just a terrible life. Um, I, I can't, of course, I'm just a very privileged white girl who's trying to figure things out. But when I'm in physical dis discomfort or when I'm going through some kind of emotional pain, I feel like when you come out on the other side of that, that's when there's you know, that beautiful truth that kind of dawns upon you. Why do you feel you were put on this earth? I think to, as my dad always says, uh, you know, shake this stick hard. And the stick is the metaphor for life. Shake it as hard as you possibly can and then be done with it.
That's fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, thanks so much for coming on this show. I, re- hey, th- I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, me as well. Thank you so much for uh, having me on and having me uh, use the old noodle a little bit. Uh, think of these, think on these questions, ponder them a little bit. It was my pleasure. How, how can the audience connect with you? How can we connect with you? Um, you can head to um, my Instagram. That's probably the best way. Okay. Uh, it's at Abbott the Red. I'm also on Twitter, Abotsky439. <laughs> and then you can find me on Facebook, Emily Abbott, CrossFit Athlete. And I'm hoping to get some kind of website up within the next while here. But, you know, I got to stop procrastinating, basically. So. <laughs> stop <with> procrastinating. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pardon me. Do you have any events coming up that we should check out, come check you out at, or anything else we should know about that's important to you right now? Uh, things that are coming up, you said? Yeah. Or, f- uh, or future things. Um, you know, it, c- it could be anything. What, what's important to you right now? Talk to me about your, uh, how do we find out more about your your adventure trip business? Um, do you have any competitions that you want us to come check out? Um, well, I mean, like, I'm only doing a local competition in the Calgary area, uh, the Western Classic. You know, it's just kind of a fun one with uh, games athlete Alex Parker. <laughs> Uh, so that's about it. Otherwise my, my head is down and I'm just going to be training hard every day. You know, the old routine thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely on my Instagram, that's where all my information will be, uh, about the next Abbott the Red adventures. Great. And, uh, I, I will let the, uh, yeah, the public know about that. And other than that, it's going to be the open. You can definitely watch <laughs> for me there. And then regionals, and then the games in Wisconsin. Are are you involved? Um, yeah, Wisconsin, right this year. Yeah. Are you involved at all in the open for any of those throwdowns this year? I'm not. No, I might be doing some ones with Reebok Canada, mm-hmm. just like some local throwdowns. Okay. But no, I don't. I, I got to do better. You know, I gotta. I gotta earn it. I gotta earn it. <laughs> we'll make sure we know um, when any of those local things are on uh, social media or whatever. Uh, if they're televising or streaming them anywhere, so we could check you out. You bet. But before you go, do you have any parting words for the audience? A morsel of inspiration. <laughs> You've shared a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so if you feel as though it's redundant. It won't be, but, you know. Well, there's a, you know, I don't know if any, I'm sure many are familiar with Braveheart. Mm. But, you know, William Wallace says, <laughs> he says, um, you know, all men die, but few men truly live. Mm. So whatever you're, whatever is holding you back or anything, it's so much easier said than done, actually. So I'm not even going to get into that. Just live the life that, be whoever the hell it is you want to be. Emily Abbott is living an intentional life and brings in authenticity and truthfulness to her chosen endeavor. She is passionate, has a sense of humor about herself, and is an explorer of moments. She rides the wave of life and is a student of experience. This is why I feel Emily Abbott is an artist. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Art of Fitness. If you did, please subscribe, write a review. Also, go to www.theartoffitnesspodcast.com. Scroll down and do all of your Amazon shopping through the Art of Fitness portal. It would really help support. Thanks a lot. Oh, shit.